nessa cadeia hereditária Quero me livrar dessa situação precária Analisando essa cadeia hereditária Quero me livrar dessa situação precária Onde, Onde o rico cada, cada vez fica mais, mais rico E o pobre, e o pobre cada, cada vez fica mais, mais pobre, pobre. E o motivo todo mundo já conhece é que o de cima só meio de baixo Best song, best song ever I think we've already sang this here before I don't, I don't care, honestly, we're just circling all the way back around now I think, you know what, y'all, welcome to Suspiria, True Crime Podcast, I'm Stephanie Welcome, I'm, uh, yes, I'm Carol <laughs> Forgot I thought you were all also gonna say you're Stephanie. I was gonna be like, no, identity no, 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 theft no, no, is no, no. not a joke, Jim. Millions <laughs> of people suffer every year. Um, no, but um, what was I gonna say? This month, dear listeners, we are celebrating two years of this little podcast. So I think I years? think you can forgive us if we don't remember what we sang in 2018. I don't remember half of what we said. Exactly. Honestly. Like, don't don't confront me about things that I said last week <laughs> because I probably don't remember. So there is that. Yeah, there's that. So on today's episode, we will be discussing the details of the crime that led to Argentina's last death sentence. Hmm. A crime that shocked society back then and which is still considered to be one of the most unforgettable crimes of Latin America. The crime of Gallo Street, a.k.a. El Crimen de la Calle Gallo. Which, let me just say, people, I do not know what Gallo means in Spanish, but it is spelled the same way as you would spell rooster in Portuguese, Mm -hmm. pretty much, but it's pronounced completely differently. So it's taking all my self-control to not mispronounce this word right now. Anyway... The sources of today's episodes are La Nación, a blog. It looks like a blog that was created in like 2002 called Acción TV. But fear not, the information from that blog was corroborated by our other sources. So I just I didn't just use some teenager's random essay about true crime for his online. <laughs> um, so we also used the A&E channel. El Gerardo de Concordia, Noticias Urbanas, Jornada, MSN, this mm-hmm. website called Infobae, but if you read it in English, it looks like Infobay. <laughs> so the <laughs> bay who brings you the information, and yeah. Taringa. So, before we dive into the case, we need to preface this by acknowledging one thing which is the lack of sources for this case. And I know, I know, I know, I know. We always said this, like, we've said this several times, but the struggle is, like, real with this one. To the point where there isn't even a Wikipedia page for this murder. That's another level. That's how you know things are bad. Yeah. And, like, basically all the sources paraphrase one another. So it's basically, like... Everything's based on one thing that was paraphrased throughout multiple different websites. Mm. So we want all of our Argentinian listeners to forgive us if we miss any details or we somehow um, 
say something that's completely wrong and we welcome any additional information that you might have for us regarding the case mm-hmm. so just putting it out there now on to the murder itself first who was the victim frank 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 carlos livingston was a 46 year old accountant who worked for the banco hipotecario you might think that his name sounds not Latino at all, and you would be right. His family had immigrated to Buenos Aires from New York sometime in the 19th century. What an interesting choice. Yeah, I know, right? Not the opposite. Isn't that yeah. funny how the and Latin people aren't invading this country, but the opposite is happening. He was considered a respected member of society and mixed and mingled with the most influential families in, families in the city. Now, it's not to be mistaken for an extremely rich person. He earned a high salary from the bank and did, and did own several inherited properties in the Belgrano neighborhood, which uh, afforded him a, comf- a comfortable yet not super lavish life. So he was well-to-do, but he wasn't super rich. Mm-hmm. It's probably just a connections thing. Frank was married to Carmen Guillot. Guillot? Guillot? No Miss Guillot. She was... Guillotine, yes. <laughs> <laughs> then refer back to the song we sang in the beginning of the episode. Anyways, she was almost 20 years his junior at age 28 with her. And with her, he had five children. So far, didn't know which one he doesn't know her. Right? Mm-hmm. Though some sources do list the number of children as being six. There are no indications that they were madly in love. In fact, he hardly ever came out with Carmen. Carmen? 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 Carmen. She was pretty much always cooped up in the house while he went to work, socialized and went to several meetings at the jockey club, and, of course, spent time with his mistresses. Yay! It's just early 20th century things, right? Yeah, like... (laughs) Yeah, and Carmen, poor Carmen, 20 years old with five fucking six kids at the house doing what? Nothing. Uh, Knitting, most likely. Mm. So, about her past, Carmen said the following. I belong to an honest family. My parents suffered a lot with me because of my health. I was predestined to death. Long before I got married, when I was still living with my parents on a farm in Belgrano, I began to suffer from Beisdau's disease. It is a goiter that hardly disfigures the throat, but disturbs the psyche. So, this woman speaks like a fucking sphinx, man. What the fuck she's talking about? Like, oh my god. Yeah. So, how did she meet and marry this Frank dude? Well, she said, these are actual quotes from her testimony he lived near my house in a chalet with the french woman he looked at me he smiled and one day he sent me a love letter he (laughs) said that he was in love with my quote strange beauty i was suspicious what (laughs) i was suspicious there were a lot of rumors about him about his life about his customs when people opposed our love i fought them all like a lioness One day, he waited for me in his car so that we could escape. He took me to a hotel, and the disappointment was cruel. My illusion lasted just hours. Behind closed doors, he showed me that he was a monster. 
I was young, sick, drugged but by what I thought was real love and by an evil which drove me crazy. After many incidents, we decided to get married when I wasn't even 15 years old and that's when my martyrdom began. So this is like a, this is a 30-something year old dude with a 14-year-old. Let that sink in. He negged a 14-year-old. Mm-hmm. Frank was your typical old-timey husband who ensured his marriage was neither peaceful nor happy by displaying violent behavior and being extremely authoritarian. It was very normal back then, as we all know, but Frank's uh, violent tendencies most likely exceeded the norm as Carmen went as far as reporting him to Bogdanos police, which was completely unheard at the time. Like, what do you mean? Why, if you're a man to be beaten... I don't know what you're talking about. You are an object. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Why is this broom talking to me right now? Exactly. Don't you have <laughs> some stuff to sweep? <laughs> oh my god. We laugh. We laugh. But we're sad. She told officers that Frank beat her with his cane and gave her two or three pesos a day to take care of the household expenses, which was barely enough to feed the children. Frank was also allegedly forbid her from seeing her parents who lived in Montevideo. Montevideo, um, Uruguay, right? I don't know. It just says Montevideo. And it said that Montevideo was very close. So I'm guessing there's two (laughs) Montevideos. I don't fucking know. Yeah. Of her marriage, Carmen would say he was cruel. He hated me and missed no opportunity to show me that. With the same Malacca cane, which he defended himself, uh, he gave me f- ferocious beatings. He wasted money with women and in the game. In the game meaning, like, gambling, right? Yeah. Yeah. Each birth of my children was a displeasure to him. Why don't you, like, Dude, stop you. having sex with her? You're most likely raping her, so it's not mm-hmm. like she's enjoying it. Oh my god. And you think that she was like trapped in this relationship for so long, but anyways, we know where the story's going, right? Yeah. So, a month prior to the murder itself, the couple lived in a house owned by Frank in Belgrano. They quickly moved after he was mugged twice while on the street. Well, that's like when my parents found like a dead body outside of our apartment building and then we had to move. That's fun. I can't tell you if you're joking. No, no, it's true. That actually happened. The, my parents loved the neighborhood, and all of a sudden that happened, and they were like, yeah, this is not the best place, right? We're like, going to go back to this story at the no, end of the episode. No, that's literally all it is. Like, there was a dead body outside the building, and then we moved. <laughs> There's no much more to that. It's like when my great-grandfather was, like, impaled by the handcart. That's basically that. There's not much more. <laughs> you have some crazy ass stories i can't yeah, i know <laughs> so it is interesting to point out that on those occasions in which he was mugged he used his cane as a weapon to escape his assailants he also reported the muggings to the local police but in true frank fashion he did it in a way that didn't really help out his case but rather strained his relationship with the officer in charge of the case, 
was a guy, a commissioner named Samuel Samuel Ruffet. Um, Frank demanded that the perpetrators be arrested promptly, but he could barely put together a good description of them. For the too police. busy hitting so, them with cane. Uh, like, how the hell were they supposed to make any arrests if you if you can't even describe the people? <laughs> Just who look for someone you. with cane bruises on their face. Yeah, guy. like. And and dear listeners, when his demands weren't answered, because like, how would they even answer to these demands that made no fucking sense? Uh, he decided that the best course of action would be to threaten. <laughs> the commissioner saying that he would use his social and political influence to get the commissioner fired do you is, know who i am do exactly you know who you're talking to which is not at all a good move if you want people to actually help you like that's not how this works on july 19th 1914 frank spent the afternoon at the hippodromo de palermo where he bet on a few tickets on the horse irigoyen yeah. A bunch of letters, letter soup which no with no luck. The horse was a favorite in the Brazilian Grand Prix, Grand Prix, but ended up coming out last, one of the last on the race. Of course, we never win, right? Frank was very passionate about horse racing, but did not go overboard on his betting. As one can imagine, since he had already had a notoriously bad temper, losing did nothing to make things better. He had dinner with uh two sisters and a brother-in-law at the event and I mean, it wasn't a party per se. He went to dinner, uh, he went to the dinner alone as usual, so no Carmen. Frank's brother-in-law Carlos Luda drove drove him to the corner of Gallo and Santa Fe, where he was dropped, where he was dropped off at around uh like. How do you say that? It's not midnight. Middle. Twelve thirty at night. Twelve thirty. Twelve thirty at night. Frank walked towards this house with his cane in hand, per usual. As he crossed the doorway into the hall-slash-vestibule of the apartment, he was caught off guard by two men armed with knives. They jumped on, they jumped him, and Frank tried to, to defend himself from blows using his cane. The cane proved not to be useful, and he fell on the floor yelling, Don't kill me! Don't kill me! As the men stabbed him over and over and over and over again. He was stabbed... 36 or 38 times and the deathly blow came when his neck uh, was punctured se severing his carotid artery as all of this went down carmen the children and the maid who was a woman named carolina gonzalez which i believe she was from uruguay um mm -hmm. were in their bedrooms the bedrooms hmm. were located in another wing of the apartment that section was separated from the hall slash vestibule uh, by a door which had been locked from the outside. The women began to scream for help, 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 help as they heard the attack. Their mm -hmm. screams were heard by, a, by the doorman of the building and also by an officer whose last name was Tapia who was like walking the block. I guess he was doing his rounds or something. They, the two men, managed to force a window open through which the doorman climbed into the apartment and then he opened the door for the officer. When the two men entered the hall, they found Frank's lifeless body lying in a pool of blood. One of his hands seemed to be outstretched towards the cane, which was mere inches away. There were two sharp knives 
lying near the body which were meticulously clean. Tapia instructed the doorman not to touch the knives, already thinking that they could have been the weapons used uh, to commit the crime. The man could also see bloody footprints which showed that someone had walked towards the door that separated the bedrooms from the hall. It was clear that whoever was responsible for the crime had walked that way to either open or close the door after committing the murder. The two men opened the door that led to the bedrooms and a hysterical Carmen entered the hall screaming upon seeing Frank's body before fainting. That's very dramatic. I love it. <laughs> the evidence initially pointed at the crime being a robbery fall, followed by a murder. Since Frank resisted, he ended up losing his life. Things started looking a little sketchy though once they realized that although Frank's wallet was missing, his gold watch and gold pin were still on him. <laughs> yeah, there were also several valuable objects found around the hall which weren't touched either. So the fancy eggs, the fancy like silver knickknacks that they probably had laying around, not touched. Exactly. Mm. The person in charge of the investigation was investigative judge. Again, that's a very loose translation on roles, etc. But, I mean, the boss. Anyways, his name was Ignacio Irigoyen, who treated the case as a robbery, as a robbery followed, by, followed by murder. I had to repeat every single word of this phrase like five times. I'm sorry. <laughs> he started working with the officers at police station 19, which oversaw the neighborhood. He was made aware of the prior reports filed by Frank and summoned the commissioner in charge of those investigations, Samuel, Ruff Samuel Ruffett, who was not very happy about it. I mean, you have to keep dealing with this guy, even though he's dead, right? Exactly. He's like, this fucking dickbag, he probably deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am having to deal with his dumbass. While conducting inter the interviews uh, on the case, police ob obtained statements from two neighbors who saw two men leaving the building and calmly walk towards the Santa Fe Avenue at the same time that the crime would have taken place or like been done. Yeah. Uh, Ruffett investigated Frank's family at the same time as he investigated the hypotheses that police had at the time he just found it very strange and too coincidental coincidental for a man to have been mugged three times in such a short period of time and mm -hmm. obviously he died like the third time the problems in frank's marriage were well known to police since there were reports from carmen against him as well as like her own testimony from it like she didn't try mm -hmm. to paint him as a saint just because he was dead the commissioner made a note about the objects that were taken by the robbers which were a silk scarf and a wallet as well as the much more valuable items left behind he tried to figure out how the footprints left at the scene and the two knives fit into this puzzle of a case because it didn't make sense mm -hmm. at all. A forensic report stated that the knives had been cleaned using the same cologne that Frank wore. There was also... <laughs> smell exactly like this dead body. <laughs> yeah. And there was also another persi persistent smell mixed in with the cologne. Which wasn't initially identified, but it was a very strong smell. What was it, Caro? Samuel kept close tabs on Carmen as the investigation seemed to have stalled. 
He firmly believed that she was the mastermind of the crime because of the history of violence that she endured, as well as the lack of explanation for the footprints uh, leading to the bathroom, to the bedroom, sorry. He rationalized in his mind that if Carmen had indeed been locked up and passed out upon seeing the body, the footprints could not have been made after the arrival of the police. And if they were uh, there before, then there was something missing in the investigation, right? By pure luck, Samuel would run into the key to find the perpetrators. Perpetrators. While on his way to a meeting at the police department, he stopped by the Mercado del Plata so he could buy some fresh fish because his wife uh, loved cooking it. Very fishy, fishy wife. He placed his orders and paid close attention to knives used to fillet the fish. They were incredibly similar to the ones found in the Livingston crime scene. Then it all clicked. The distinct smell that he had noticed on the knives was the smell of fish, which was almost overpowered by the smell of Frank's cologne. Yeah, imagine Dude. that. Solving a case because you recognize the smell of something. Dude, this guy. Yeah, so he tasked Deputy Commissioner Villanueva with the mission of figuring out who supplied the fish to the Livingston household. Let's remember that this is the early 1900s, so there's no Walmart around. Like, you had to actually have, like, your local fish guy, your local bread person, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Villanueva speculated that the family must have gotten their fish at the Rodriguez Peña y Vicente Lopez market. They found out that the supplier was a man by the name of Salvatore Vitarelli, who supplied a little more than fish to the household <laughs> because he was having an affair oops he was having an affair with the maid catalina which if i'm not mistaken one of the sources again it was only one place that cited this so i didn't think it was relevant enough but if i'm not mistaken uh when villanueva and uh samuel went to the market to like check this guy out he was full-on making out with Catalina at the market. <laughs> so, yeah. Samuel also found out that Salvatore had beef with Frank because Frank never mm. paid the, for the damn fish on time. So, the two were brought in for questioning. And Frank was known to not pay people on time. That was his thing. He was known as an asshole who didn't pay people on time. So... Yeah. During um, the interrogation, Salvatore was not cracking. However, Catalina very quickly confessed and recounted the murder plot every step of the way. She was Carmen's confidant, the person she turned to and told every detail about the abuse she suffered at the hands of her husband. Divorce wasn't a thing in Argentina back then, mm-hmm. not even separation. So the only way out of a marriage was if one of the people died. The women started plotting against Frank and Carmen believed that uh, this would free her. She asked Catalina to ask Salvatore if he knew any hitmen. The price she was willing to pay was 2,000 pesos to whoever did it. She also stated that she would pay for uh, whatever Frank owed at the fish market. Salvatore then enlisted help of three farmhands who he trusted for the job. They were Italian immigrants, Francisco Salvato and Juan Bautista, 
will sometimes is uh, credited credit as uh, Giovanni. Oh, okay. Last name is Lauro. And also Rafael Prostomo. Salvato and Lauro had been responsible for the prior attacks against Frank, which were not robberies, but rather assassination attempts. They had fallen. They had failed then, but they would not fail a third time. Third time is the charm, right? Exactly. Gotta work like that. According to the confession, a little bit after 9 p.m. on July 19th, Catalina opened the door to the apartment for the murderers. The men were instructed to wait on the dark hall and jump Frank as soon as he walked in. They were given filleting knives by Salvatore. Carmen, Catalina, and the children locked themselves up in the bedroom wing, already planning on stating that they were locked in there by the perpetrators or perpetrators. And so Rafael, Giovanni, and Francisco stood there waiting for the victim. Yeah. And it's important yeah. to uh, emphasize something that they said about uh, uh, Francisco and Giovanni. Uh, they said that they were new new coming immigrants from Italy who were illiterate. They didn't have any skills and they didn't have a job. So mm. very easy to convince them to do something if they were like pretty much starving mm. to death. Not that it makes it right, but, but you know. Yeah. Um Rafael got cold feet and decided to get the hell out of there at eleven PM. He was like, Yeah, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> as frank walked through the door he was stabbed to death once it was all over and done the women entered the hall where carmen told the man to take frank's wallet and make a run for it she said that they would be paid as soon as she had her husband's inheritance on her so she didn't even pay them like right then and there mm-hmm. at that point she made the mistake of stepping on the blood and leaving tracks behind as she walked towards the bedrooms. Giovanni and Francisco wiped the knives with Frank's handkerchief. But in their haste to get out of there, they left the fucking knives behind. Like if they would have just <laughs> taken on. the knives, maybe the crime would have been solved, but it would have taken a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So warrants were issued for the arrest of all involved parties. Everyone confessed pretty quickly, but Carmen would not go down so easily. She was questioned for six days before admitting that she she had anything to do with the murder. She finally broke down and told Judge Irigoyen, Yes, I had him killed and I am not sorry. (laughs) She confessed to initially thinking about poisoning Frank, but she gave up after she realized that she would very easily be blamed for it. Because, you know, poison is a woman's mm. weapon. Um, her defense attorney, Antonio de Tommaso, painted the victim, Frank, as a monster, trying to mitigate the responsibility of Carmen, Catalina, and Salvatore. But that mm. didn't really work. In a statement to police, Carmen said the following about her life with Frank. I'm young. I'm 28 years old, but I look a lot older. Hardships have aged me. Livingston had three properties. In one of them, one of his female friends lived rent-free. His salary was high enough to support a house, to be wasted on races, women, and parties. And, meal- and meanwhile, at home, he only left me three pesos a day for like expenses. If 
I bought on credit, he would beat me. And when I asked for one more peso to buy food for the children, he would say, if you don't have enough, then don't eat. This reminds me of a story I want to tell at the end of the episode. Oh, God. Yeah. Carmen and Salvatore were sentenced to life in prison. Catalina and Rafael received a 15-year prison sentence, and Giovanni and Francisco were sentenced to death and pleaded to have sit to have the sentence commuted to. But those pleas were denied by President Victorino de la Panza, Pla- Plaza, not Panza. <laughs> they were they were executed by firing squad at the Penitenciaria Nacional on June 22, second, nineteen sixteen. On the day of the execution, Juan pleaded that his execution to be delayed by a few minutes as he waited for one of his sisters to arrive there and witness it. Dude, what the fuck? Right? Yeah. Yeah, but that sister never came. Like, wait, 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 wait. no, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. One second. Can I just have one, a little bit of an extension? I'm pretty (laughs) sure my sister's going to come here to see me. Anytime now. (laughs) She will show up. She told me she was going to be here with popcorn, so. Mm Mm-hmm. She did tell me like a few years ago when I was like talking about murder and stuff. She told me if you ever are put to death, I'm gonna go there. Yeah, and that's how I, how, I, that's how I know. Yeah, he also requested not to be blindfolded for the execution, which go figure, right? The death sentence had been set by the penal code of, of 1986, and this was the last time it would be applied and uh, to what they called common crimes in Argentina. It had been considered as a part of the new penal code for. It had been considered as a part of the new penal code for 1922, but Congress decided not to vote on it. They maintained the position that there is no right to kill another human being, as the death, as the death of the accused would not undo the evils caused by them, only by saying only by staying alive in prison that uh, the person will be able to repair some of that damage, which I do agree to some level, yeah. Yeah, makes some sense. Mm -hmm. So, years later, when uh, Carmen was interviewed by journalist Luisi Diegues, he stated the following in a piece about her. From her old beauty, she retains the fascination of big black eyes. Yesterday's beauty is withered, accentuated by graying hair. Before the journalist, the condemned woman pleaded, I will never regret it. He was to blame. Now, I'm not a dangerous woman anymore. I deserve to see my children. She lost all contact with her children, who allegedly never even visited her. That was it. That was the case. The crimes of Calle Gallo. Mm-hmm. Calle Gallo. I don't have favorites, but I got to say that I really like Argentinian crimes. Yeah, I think I think they're very... Yeah, I'm not going to play favorites, but I feel yeah. like a lot of them have, I don't want to say good motives, but they make sense. <laughs> some just some stories, of the yeah. 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 I, again, I don't want to play favorites, but I really like the Chilean ones and the Argentinian ones. And I've been researching some Costa Rican ones, guys. I have to say. We are almost two. We're almost toddlers. Mm. Let me tell you, as someone who lives with a toddler, we are equally as obnoxious. What What is your favorite thing about Suspiria so far? I know some of you have actually mm. been with us since the beginning because I can see the interactions yeah. on um, on our Instagram page. Um, 
yeah thank you for the support those of you who have been with us since the beginning thank you for the support in general but a special shout out to those of you who have been here and just you know <laughs> special shout out to those who endured the many many episodes of, of poor quality yes two years yeah. of this and <laughs> it's been it's been fun it's been it learning totally experience has. um we've had a lot of fun sharing um little piece of our beautiful uh not continent is it latin america is latin america a continent i'm gonna call it piece of earth yeah because i don't because it's <laughs> central america and south america make up yeah. latin america so the, the conglomerate of countries that we happen to associate with exactly carol thank you for those words <laughs> um yeah we've enjoyed sharing these cases with you um we mm-hmm. don't think they get a lot of coverage or any coverage at all. Some of these cases like yeah. don't really don't go beyond the pages of local newspapers. Like mm-hmm. this case, for example, I would have never found out about it yeah. if I hadn't like literally try to find like yeah, have, yeah. unforgettable shit that happened in Latin America. <laughs> So, as always type in like every week don't forget exactly exactly the crimes so. that scarred blank country exactly so <laughs> um i had something else to say it totally sounds like we're like finishing the podcast over here but we're not like we're still gonna go on guys don't worry yeah no this is, you can't get rid of us that easily it's, Are you it's kidding been me? a fun ride and i'm not saying no that. you can't no i'm, I'm sorry to break it to you but if you thought this was going to go away oh are you wrong yeah we're gonna keep on talking until they cut our throats and we can't speak anymore because we don't have the boxes voice i hope they don't cut my throat i've said this here before but that's not how i want to go out (laughs) please don't please yeah no let's not let's not yeah yeah um let me do some shout outs because i can't remember what else i was gonna say so shout out to our new followers um hopefully i'm not repeating myself because um, I, I don't actually keep a list of the ones that I mentioned in the last episode. So if you're getting mentioned twice, well, you get exactly nothing. Double, double, yeah, double love, okay. Yeah, so Gabriele, Jade, Carlos, Isabella, Aline, Lenise, another Isabella, Solange, Janelle, Drica, Sammy, Ty, Luisa, um, this person doesn't have a name under their profile, just the letter Y, so you, (laughs) Amanda, and that's it. Thank you for following us and for showing us uh, your support and just being here for us because we happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are. And just in case you listen to our second podcast, Pretty Creamy in Portuguese, we're doing, um... Two episodes a week on that one. And we're translating a few outlines that we did here on this podcast to celebrate our second birthday and to hopefully bring some listeners to this podcast. Exactly. But that's fine. Yeah. Exactly. Because we have a slightly bigger following in that podcast. Ever so slightly. Yeah. Which is understandable because here in, in, in the world of American true crime podcasts, we are a big fish. 
Mm-hmm. Not a big fish. A small fish in a big a pond. small fish. And there, the pond's a lot smaller, so the size of the fish is just bigger. Which is cool. If you guys don't know, we're famous. We have fans. And we are, like, ranking on, like, iTunes and stuff, which is pretty cool. But Suspiria ranks, I wouldn't ranks call too. it famous. <laughs> No, I know, but we've been, we have been described as famous. No, Suspiria. we have been described as famous. Like, I well, want some famous guests. Let me get those girls. This is this is what people t- say about us. Well, but they're wrong. Uh, Suspiria is actually <laughs> rising through the charts in Brazil. Yeah. Um, pretty sure. And in other countries, too. Like, I think Ecuador, Chile. We, we've seen it pop up in, in and out of several charts, too. Yeah, I think this past week in Brazil, Suspiria was... So, the week before you're listening to this episode mm-hmm. was number 12 or something. Yeah. Which is wild. And I'm happy. It is. So wild and so cool. So, happy yeah, thank you for listening. our baby go mm-hmm. and walk and take its first steps and put everything know, in its right? mouth. And oh. our baby is learning to say no, 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 no. And um, baby is getting potty trained, not going mm-hmm. very well right now. Suspiria, no. let me tell you, you need to stop. It's hard to raise a baby long distance like that. Yeah, I'm just looking at the Brazilian Spotify chart. Suspiria is number thirty six. So, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, so I want to ask you, listener, who is currently listening to all my rambling right now leave us an apple podcast review please yep it really helps us it really helps us we really love to hear your feedback uh whether it is positive or negative although we've never really had extremely like negative feedback like not really so i yeah i want you to leave us a review as your gift to us for our two-year anniversary how about yeah this? please do leave us a review on uh, itunes go to our facebook page because we do have a facebook page where we just share the same shit that we <laughs> post on instagram follow us there uh also follow us on instagram and twitter so that yep. we can see you and feel yeah, your we love. always tweet we always post stuff and it's always fun exactly yeah, and if we speak Portuguese or even Spanish, maybe you can understand a little bit what we say on the second podcast. It's T-U-P-I-N-I-C-R-I-M-E. Yeah, and if you are Latin or if you know a really interesting Latin American true ca- true crime case mm-hmm. and you want to be a part of this, just hit us up. We've done yeah. episodes with listeners before. Uh, one yeah. of our listeners is know. like one of our best friends right now. So, <laughs> yeah, just let us know and you yeah. can be part yeah, of it. Or just suggest a case. You don't have to be part of it. We yeah. always open for suggestions. Yeah, you don't have to like actually record it if you don't think you. Yeah, just participate, like I guess. Like, yeah, it's, it's not like, yeah, you can do it with other things other than your voice. Makes exactly. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, what else? Nothing it. else, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you guys have a amazing, awesome, blasting, bursting end of the world. <laughs> Laters, haters. Ciao. Bye. Ciao. Thank you for listening to another episode of Suspiria, a true crime podcast. 
If you are a creep and enjoy listening to all of that horrible information, please check out our previous episodes and write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram as Suspiria Podcast. Facebook is also Suspiria Podcast. If you want to follow Carol, you can follow her at Suspiria Carol. And you can follow me at eu.steph. Note, none of us post anything interesting. We do, actually. If you have any case suggestions, feel free to drop them over at suspiriapodcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to be part of this podcast, you can also email us. We promise we won't bite. Ciao! Suspiria.